0: Hello and welcome to the Combat and Classics Podcast. This is Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas. And this is Jeff Black in Annapolis, Maryland.
1: And I'm Shiloh Brooks in Colorado.
0: We are back for book two in our series on the Iliad, taken at one book at a time. Uh, so overview of book two. We have Zeus has decided to intervene because in book one, Thetis asked him uh, to avenge her son Achilles, and so Zeus decides to do this um, through battle, through basically getting the Greeks out to the field and getting the Trojans out to the field, and then he's going to let the Trojans whoop up on the Greeks. Uh, it is very interesting how he does this. He sends a dream to Agamemnon, which then Agamemnon does a bunch of weird stuff where He says what's in the dream, but then he says he's going to test the troops by telling them that they're actually going to lose and that they should leave, which trying not to editorialize this much (laughs) in the overview, but which makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, So a bunch of hilarity ensues among the Greeks where uh, people are booking for the ships and then the other Greek kings have to like bring them back. Oh, my God, all of my Marine Corps planning process uh, nerves are on edge just talking about this. Um, and then Zeus, for some reason, sends a dream to Agamemnon, but then just sends a uh, god messenger Iris to the Trojan council, their own council. They're hanging out. They're talking. And so sends a god in disguise as one of Priam's sons and says, we should take the field against the Greeks and take the battle to them. Um And then we get a super long list of Greek people and ships in book two. So my question uh, for book two is why does Zeus send a dream to Agamemnon and Iris in disguise as one of Priam's sons to the Trojans?
2: I've got, a, I've got a speculation here that I can kind of offer, and it requires a little imagining of the, uh, the situation when the Iliad starts. So um, the day before uh, this dream came, and for that matter, 12 days before, and for that matter, I don't know how long before, it's not clear to me that the Greeks have engaged with the Trojans in the field. right? It looks like the Greeks are raiding up and down the coast, uh, trying to reduce and live off of nearby peoples who are presumably allied with the Trojans, although that might not be so clear. Um, so I infer from this, it might it might have been a while since they've taken the field against the Trojans. They might have lost their appetite for this war. Um, and con- uh, contrast that with what I think the Trojan situation is. Uh, it looks like they have a watch posted. There's some hill that's halfway between Uh, Troy and the Greek camp and there's somebody who's on that hill and this is the person that that Iris is going to address and then the person who's going to go to the Assembly of the Trojans. Um, It looks like the Trojans are ready. Um, They're watching for an opportunity to engage with the Greeks in the field, presumably because they think they can repulse them. And this is even though Agamemnon claims that the Greeks outnumber the Trojans proper, the ones who live in Troy, by more than 10 to 1. So my guess is that one of the things we need to uh, take into account in uh, Brian's question is that Zeus is taking advantage of what must be a really bad psychological situation on the part of the Greeks. Uh, They've been there nine years. They really do want to leave. Um, and this is something that maybe Agamemnon has in his mind and is maybe feeding into what we discussed last time, namely the, the quarrel he's just had with Achilles. How's that for a start?
0: Shiloh and I are just staring at each other going, do you want to talk? Should I talk? Well, I'm, supposed I, to talk?"
1: No, I, I, it makes sense what you say. I, I'm, just, I'm trying to tie this back then or, or trying to get some clarity on the question um, or at least get a more explicit answer to it. Why the God in the one case and the dream in the other? what is the advantage and disadvantage in each in each case yeah so would it be something like the dream requires
2: interpretation and as requiring interpretation it takes into account the condition of the interpreter that's one of the things that it does and so it offers something like more scope for agamemnon's tendency to express itself
1: okay
2: um whereas the you know, the, the disguise as um, a Trojan, that sort of thing we'll see as we read a, f- a few more books of this, uh, of this poem. Uh, it doesn't always, and maybe even doesn't often throw the participants. They often say, hey, you're a god who looks just like so-and-so, <laughs> right? Well, this is important. I better, I better pass it on. Um, so I guess all I was driving at, or all I was suspecting, is that there's something um, much more fraught about the Greek psychological situation from a military perspective than there is about the um trojan one even though on on paper i think the greeks should take no time whatsoever to to overcome the the trojans
1: so would you say that zeus has a sense that agamemnon is going to he sets agamemnon up to say oh the dream was a ruse and lo and behold it's exposed to Agamemnon that his men are cowards, which or are tired or whatever the case may be. And Zeus already knows this. And yeah. so he's, is he yeah. trying to teach them something in addition to, you see what I'm, I'm asking?
0: Well, I definitely, I definitely get the sense that Zeus knows Agamemnon's gonna mess this up. <laughs> like that, and, and that's what he's counting on, right? Because he want, he wants to punish the Greeks um, and so if the Greeks have, you know, a military event, adv- if let me, let me put it this way. You know, so you can say that, you know, the, the moral is the physical is 10 is the one. Right. And so the fact that the Greek commanders who just saw Agamemnon in the last book kind of losing his shit over one war bride, right. And just was willing to like, let Achilles, you know, totally stop fighting and be like, no, screw you, man. I don't need you anyway. Um, they, they've, they're already, if they haven't seen it for nine years, they're seeing it now that this guy is just bad news. Um, and so Zeus, I think is setting that up by doing the dream because now, uh, e- even if Agamemnon said like, I had a dream that we should attack Troy. Um, I feel like that the generals are like, oh, oh, you did. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Should we do that? Or should we leave? Like, what? You know. um, And so they might not trust him. But, you know, even Agamemnon, I don't even know if Zeus could have predicted that Agamemnon was going to, like, turn the script entirely and say, okay, I had this dream, pretty sure it was a god, but what I'm going to do is tell everybody we should leave. Like, that is nuts! Like, in terms of briefing a plan, like, and saying, like, hey, we're going to do this, but first let's tell everybody we're actually gonna retreat before we do it, and I'm not gonna intervene. I'm gonna have you guys run around and try to herd all these cats so that we can do it. Like, as a troop, like, you've gotta be thinking, who is in charge of this thing? Like, who is running this circus? And so I think what Zeus is is doing purposely or accidentally is just letting the Agamemnon X factor kinda play out a little bit and cause chaos among the Greeks. Uh, and also potentially show us to the audience, again, overly editorializing my point that Agamemnon is awful, but uh-huh. that Agamemnon should not be in charge, like he has no business being in charge.
2: Well, let, let me come at, here comes Jeff's def- defense of Agamemnon part two, right? So here's my defense of him for book two. Um, but before I, I deliver it, let me just grab onto something that you mentioned that I think is is really interesting. Uh, Like you said, Agamemnon loses his shit over one war bride. But the whole reason that the Greeks are there is because Paris stole Helen from Menelaus, right? So it looks like the sort of thing that happened um, at the hands of the barbarians, to the Greeks as a people, is now happening to one Greek king at the hands of another Greek king, right? So what you could say is technically speaking, if this is uh, casus belli, if this is a reason for war, We have civil war, right? We're on the cusp of civil war in the Greek camp, right? Um, So that by way of the gravity of the situation. Now, the defense of Agamemnon, I I wish I knew exactly what to make of this, but Agamemnon says, I think, to Nestor that it is customary to do what he's going to do, namely to test the troops by telling them that what he really wants to do um, is leave. And then he says he's going to um, send a few of his kings, right, a few of uh, the great warriors like Odysseus and so on, to uh, intervene with the Greeks as they try to flee to their ships. So he, he says uh, that he intends to have, have happen more or less what happens, right? Maybe he doesn't expect the gravity. Um, and, and nobody says that's a crazy plan. Right They all say, you know all right let's let's go do it, So I think the thing to grapple with here is what how how could this be customary? How could we possibly understand it as customary? Um, I think we see in other places like Thucydides it's customary to give a kind of speech to your troops before you fight precisely because the moral is to the physical as ten is to one. So why this kind of speech I,
0: uh, I guess too many flashbacks to, like, really weird briefing room situations um, with, like, colonels who are like, here's what we're doing, guys. And then everybody just kind of looks at each other like, oh, my God. Okay, we're not – we're," and you just kind of look around to everybody else and you're like, we're not doing this, right? Like, we're definitely not going to do this. Like, we're just all going to nod right now and say, yeah, boss, you got it. And then as soon as we get out of this, like, meeting, we're all going to talk and be like, yeah, we're definitely not doing this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so like, not to, not to, I might be interpreting this a little bit wrong, but I'm looking at like 70, um, and, and it's, come let us arm the sons of Achaeans, uh, but first I will test them with a sweet, with a speech, which is my right. So I'm, I'm seeing in the, in the Alexander translation, which is my right, um, which may be a little different than custom. And I will order them to flee with their many beach ships. You on all sides, check them with your words. Okay, so super weird. And then I love that Nestor, so, you know, spoiler alert, everybody, Nestor's Nestor's (laughs) Wily. So then Nestor jumps in, and I kind of love this because I've seen this with staff officers who are just like, great idea and then say something completely different. Um, so having said all this, he then sat down and among them rose Nestor, Lord of Pylos by the sandy shore. He with wise regard for them spoke and addressed them. Oh, friends, leaders and counselors of the Argives. If any other of the Achaeans had told of this dream, we would deem it a delusion and stay clear of it, <laughs> which I think is maybe to some degree Nestor going, this guy's crazy, right? Um, and he continues, as it is, he who saw it claims to be the best by far of the Achaeans. So much shade. Uh, come, let us see if we can arm the sons of Achaeans. Right. So he's, he's. I feel like, you know, he's doing a good XO thing, executive officer thing, where he's saying, absolutely, boss, and is kind of signaling to everybody, hey, this guy's nuts. Um, let's get them all armed so that we can either attack or defend or something. Yeah. Um, but realize that if anybody else said this, we would think they're crazy. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's planting that idea in there that like, hey, this guy's crazy. So we're not actually going to retreat. So just be, be aware of that when you're doing your thing is, mm-hmm. is how I'm reading it. But I might be yeah. reading too much into it.
2: I, I think there's some plausibility to that when you take into account the advice that Nestor later gives, where he tells Agamemnon it would be a good idea to get the Greeks to form up by tribes Um, It looks like that implies that earlier they would fight in mixed units, right? I don't know exactly what rules would dictate who fights with whom, but now uh, Nestor thinks uh, they're only going to support one another if it's kin, uh, if it's people who knew one another earlier than over the past nine years. Um, And so that does seem to me to betray a lack of confidence in the Greeks, even after they've been uh, persuaded uh, to go out against the Trojans. Um, and so that might go together with your sense that Nestor is um, both enforcing and uh, informing the
1: kings about the context of the orders and how they should judge them. I'm, I'm willing to entertain the, the idea that Agamemnon is simply nonsensical and making decisions on, based on uh, reasons that can't be traced because they're not rational. But I'm, cur- oh. <laughs> I'm curious, um, since you're the great defender of Agamemnon, Jeff, uh, what, I mean, it's, it, can you make sense of his intention? In other words, he seem, there seem to be two options. One is um, he wants to shame them. In other words, I, I can imagine Agamemnon saying, look, they're going to run. They're exhausted. But then they'll have shown themselves to run. And then they're going to want to, um, once Odysseus or someone uh, calls them out on that, they'll perform all the more admirably because they've got to erase the memory of them running. Uh, so that that would be one option of defense. And the other would be, I mean, this is crazy. And I'm, again, I'm just trying to think it through that they, he knows they're going to run and he doesn't want to fight anymore. And he wants or, or something of this nature. He wants to go home or he wants them to provide an excuse for him not to have to do with this dream that Zeus sent him uh says so i'm just curious if we can make sense of his intention in any other way than that he's just a a, you know a blathering madman which i i think is probably also partly true yeah i
2: i think um both of your options are actually better than the madman option right and to give agamemnon a kind of maximum credit i think uh You know, most normal human beings, if they would have gone through what he's gone through, they they might be on borderline madmen as well, right? Don't forget that um, in something that's only alluded to briefly in book one, Agamemnon has uh, led a human sacrifice of his daughter uh, in order to get all the troops uh, to Troy, right? And uh, he kind of felt cornered into that by the gods. So I think this has got to be a human being who doesn't... um, does not fully trust what the gods are telling him, right? That there will turn out to be a downside uh, to any dream, however favorable it looks like. So I think it's reasonable to think going into it, he might have that worry. But the other thing that you said Shiloh really, I think uh, persuades me, um, I think his sense of the situation among the Greeks right now is that uh, arguments from justice, uh, he can't pull that lever anymore that they're not going to bring them out into the field. So saying to them, remember how nine years ago, probably more than that, ten years ago, they took Helen from us, right? Let's go get these guys. That's not going to work, right? The only thing that's going to work is shame. If they're going to flee, and his troops might flee, better to have them flee before the fight than during. Let's make it happen now. Let's get it out of their system. Let's turn it if we can. And then they won't do it a second time. Right. So, if if I best dignity I can give to Agamemnon's thinking would be something along those lines. But it is a very risky strategy. I think if I were a commander and I realized that that was my best bet, I, I would realize I was in a very bad situation.
0: Well, and it's also if oh, I'm going to defend Agamemnon here, I <laughs> corruption. <laughs> if if he's lost like the troops, right? Um and is seeing cracks in the command structure in terms of his kind of quasi-subordinate generals. Um, what an interesting way to get those generals to very actively and assertively get their guys ready to fight. Um, you know, what, what more dire circumstance can you put? as a challenge to your subordinate commanders, then, Hey, I'm going to tell all the troops we're going to retreat. And then you got to bring them back like that, that, that it's certainly a crazy, like, I don't know, totalitarian communist party, like way to, you know, basically make all of the subordinates kind of devoted to, um, or demonstrate their devotion, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you have, if you have somebody that's like, no, I'm, I'm cool with going home. Then it's like, who gets their boats off the beach first? Mm -hmm. You know, like who, which one of the subordinate commanders is like, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the head. Oh, look, all all my, all my ships are out. I guess I should probably join them. Um, Like that, that would give you a really good idea of which of your subordinate commanders are super on board with getting out of town versus the ones that are like no 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 we've been here for 9 years we need to take the town like we're going to we're going to do it mm-hmm. so i i still think it's crazy um but that's that is a me trying to maybe look a little bit deeper into i i think that i think the way it happened how it happened was more happenstance than agamemnon being a machiavelli But, oh man, he's just, he's very frustrating to me.
2: There's just one more twist, um, which is interesting to me and I'm not sure I understand it, but at the end of book one, you remember um, Achilles wrath is directed against Agamemnon. He's so angry at Agamemnon that he um, considers killing him and he's only restrained by Athena. But by the end of book one, it's formulated as anger against the other Greeks, all the Greeks who are not Achilles men. And the people who are to suffer are the other Greeks, right? Achilles is especially interested that their suffering then persuade Agamemnon that he's going to, uh, you know, he regrets having mistreated Achilles. But the people who are going to die, according to the plan of Zeus, are the other Greeks. How do they feel about what's going on, what's been going on with uh, Achilles and Agamemnon, right? Are they complicit somehow? Because Achilles... In, you know, implicitly alleges that they are, they're on board with him, right? Maybe they have some sense that they're participating in an unjust system as well. And that's got to be um, problematic from Agamemnon's perspective.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, especially in terms of, it maybe we can hypothesize that if Achilles was a bit more politically adept, if he had some of the intelligence and skill that Agamemnon maybe I guess has, because he's kind of in charge and has the most ships, then what he could potentially do is kind of be like, "Hey, hey, Nestor, hey Odysseus, you guys, you guys, happy with how things are going with the guy who's in charge? Maybe, maybe we could do with a little you know, something fresh, something different. Right. Maybe maybe something else in charge. Um, but he, he he doesn't seem capable of that." Right. And so he just feels this this rage in him and is like, no, 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 you're with him. Like, yeah, you deserve you deserve what's coming. Yeah. Achilles is incapable of conspiracy, as we'll
2: find out later. He hates like the gates of Hades, people who think one thing and say another.
0: <laughs> Thank you for teeing that up, because that, that's so much fun. That is so much fun when we get to book 10 um, and it's like, wait, this is is he? So, yeah, that's some – some. the people that have read this before will get what we're talking about. We actually did the Embassy of Achilles way back in episode mm, – in the 10s, I think.
2: Search me a long time ago. Yeah, a long
0: time ago. So if you want to go back and, and, and take a listen to that before we do it again, um, you'll get a little bit of what we're talking about. But I, I think that's uh, a good place to wrap up. So thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Shiloh. Another book in the books. Um, we will be continuing um, recording these uh, and we will also be doing a little bit of Xenophon coming up so be on the lookout and uh, we're also on the Instagrams so you can follow us uh, at Combat and Classics on there so be on the lookout we're going to be posting some stuff on there Uh, but until then thanks guys thanks guys